Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. Ole Miss baseball was one of the last nine teams standing in all of college baseball. But eight and only eight go to Omaha for the College World Series and a shot at a national title. Ole Miss is not one of them. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Guest co-hosting today, David Brandt at David Brandt AP. And the guest coming up in about 10, 15 minutes, Tyler Siski. He heads up Ole Miss football recruiting. Talking summer camps, commitments, strategy, as Ole Miss sports has hit the dead summer months. There's nothing to do. Nothing going on outside of listening to me and David Brandt. Hey, bud. Hey, buddy. What's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm honored. I appreciate this. Are you really honored? You don't have to patronize me, David. No, I, I, it's fun. I enjoy doing these. I think enjoy is a stretch. I think you tolerate it because we're friends or friends-ish. We, I've been downgraded to friend-ish. Uh, it's still up for debate. You're a long ways away now. We don't get to hang out anymore. Well, you know, I, I, th- I think the distance between us this past eight or nine years since I moved from Oxford is, has hurt, but I still consider us friends. Well, here's the problem. We were supposed to go to a Brave series in May, and those dates came and went. And guess what? We didn't go. And that tells me friends don't let friends not go to Braves games. That, that's true. But there was a baseball team in Oxford that I know most people were worried about at the time. Yeah. Life yeah. gets in the way. Yeah, it does. It does. Life got in the way for Ole Miss in Arkansas. Well, Arkansas got in the way more than life did. But Ole Miss is not going to Omaha. 14-1 to 1 is final loss. And Mike Bianco, yet again, has to answer to not getting out of a Super Regional. Been to six Super Regionals now, has Ole Miss all time, and gotten out of one, advanced out of one to go to Omaha. It's been a weird year. It was a year, weird year for Ole Miss baseball. Before we get into the mailbag, get to Tyler Siski. What are your thoughts on Ole Miss not being able to break through and go to Omaha. You know, it, it's just Mike 
has been at Ole Miss so long, it's it's just such a complicated legacy because I, I think if you just take this year individually, it was a pretty good year. There were some ups. There were some downs. Uh, you know, they played really good down the stretch in the SEC tournament, played great in the regional. Um, and even in game two in the super regional, they played really well. Arkansas is a really good team. You had to go on the road to a great atmosphere. That's a tough place to win two of three. And so like in a vacuum, losing to Arkansas in the super regional, I, I think is reasonable. You know what I mean? I think individually it's a pretty good year, but of course everything is not viewed in a vacuum. And so you've got the history at Old Miss one in five in super regionals. Um, and then of course it, it, it also, whether fair or not, your in-state rival is going to Omaha again. And so with all those things combined, it hurts a lot more than I think it would normally for a team to essentially make baseball sweet 16, um, you know, play hard, play well down the stretch and it just not work out. So individually pretty good year ups and downs collectively. I understand why there's still a lot of frustration with, with the Ole Miss fan base. See, that's where I am. That's how I feel about it. Not frustrated because don't really care all that much, but Ole Miss fans do. I get it. And I understand why they are uh, and have all these very intense feelings after Ole Miss loses at Arkansas and doesn't get out of Omaha. Because you're right, in a vacuum, this season was a success. It was frustrating, but they turned it around. They played their best baseball at the end of the year. When you look at it in a vacuum, Monday was just one bad day. And baseball teams have one bad day. And if you have one bad day on the wrong day, your season could be over. And Ole Miss's is now over. But it brings about the question of the complicated legacy of Mike Bianco. Mike Bianco is the reason why Ole Miss baseball has become what it is. A nationally relevant program. One of the best, I think, considered in the country. But the lack of postseason success as far as getting to Omaha complicates things. He's not celebrated like he otherwise would be with two, three, four more trips to Omaha. Dave Van Horn, for example, has been six times from Nebraska and Arkansas combined. Takes a team this year, replacing eight starters, and still goes to Omaha. And you're right, you shouldn't compare yourself to your in-state rival, but it's somewhat inevitable with Mississippi State after dealing with all kinds of stuff with his head coach and turnover with his roster, just goes to Omaha again. You don't want to consider these things as far as Mike Bianco's legacy and blah, 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 blah. You, you want to be able to celebrate the accomplishment of what he's done and building this program and taking it from nothing to something. In a vacuum, it's tough, and it complicates it. You can't celebrate the accomplishment because the thing that everybody wants and they're not getting, it happened again. Right. There hasn't been enough equity built up to just kind of appreciate a, a super regional season like you sometimes can at other schools. Um, you know, like, for instance, I, I look at LSU and certainly it was a little bit of a disappointing season there. They were ranked, what, number one, number two going into the season. They have injuries. You know, they they kind of fight. They bounce back and forth. And then they end up losing in the super regional at home against Florida State. And I'm sure LSU fans are upset about that. But I, I just don't think it's viewed in quite the same light just because Paul Maneri has taken the team to Omaha. They have won national championships. You know what I mean? You could, you could have a little more levity when thinking about a particular season when you don't have the, the history built up that's so frustrating. And so I, that's really, to me, the disconnect with Mike Bianco's career is the super regional round, like you talked about, the one in five. And he's lost three of them at home. So even if you just win half of those, you know, you go three and three. If Mike had been to Omaha three times, I think most fans 
again, there's always frustration. There's fan, they're fans. That's they care. Uh, but you know, I, I think that if you had been to Omaha three times, that would be a number that most people I think could understand and live with. So I don't know. It, it's, I, sometimes I feel like I'm talking myself in circles with with the Ole Miss baseball program, but there's there's really nothing they can do short of going to Omaha that's going to please fans. And and at this point, I understand that it's the Andy Kennedy problem. It's not the same level of accomplishment. Ole Miss baseball was one of the last nine teams standing, last sixteen if you want to get technical, and didn't make it. Comparing it this way is making the Sweet Sixteen over and over and over. But for Ole Miss fans, it's very simple. Andy Kennedy, they felt like, met his ceiling. He wasn't getting Ole Miss basketball to the NCAA tournament in a regular fashion. Mike Bianco has reached his ceiling for some Ole Miss fans. He'll never not reach that ceiling. So you can't celebrate that super regional accomplishment because when you don't get to Omaha, you fall short again. The narrative is the same. Oh, Mike Bianco, he didn't break through. Same old Mike Bianco. The conversation hasn't changed. He's dealing with his own monster. He's having to come face-to-face with the own monster he's built, the own Frankenstein he's created. But uh, this is the the curse of expectations. When you want to build a nationally relevant program, this is what happens. And until you can show that you can break that narrative, you can break that belief amongst some in your fan base, it's always going to be there. And that's what he's got to deal with every single day. Just in some ways, it feels Groundhog Day. We've been talking about the same thing, it seems like, for the better part. Of 15 years. And, and certainly we got a reprieve there for a while when they went to Omaha finally in 2014. And, and that certainly helped, you know, and, and got, you know, it, it just kind of loosened things up a little bit, but now we're five years removed from that. And that feels just more like a fluke than anything else. And so you're just having the same conversations. And I, and I think also to another one of your points, um, the comparison to Andy Kennedy is a good one because in any sport, in any college sport or pro sport, there's certain tiers, you know, like if you're a good basketball program, you go to the NCAA tournament most years. Um, if, if you go, if you're an elite baseball program, you go to Omaha at least a decent amount of the time. Yeah. Those are, those are delineation. And it's different obviously because in basketball it's 68 teams at Omaha, it's eight teams, but there's also, I think it's fair to say there's a lot more teams that care and are financially committed to basketball than baseball. So it's a little comparing apples to oranges. But the point being is that really good programs are expected to make the NCAA tournament in basketball. Really good programs are expected. Omaha is kind of the dividing line. And they've been, even though really, really close a lot of times, both sports have been on the wrong side of that dividing line a lot. And so no one wants to celebrate going 21 and 10 in basketball and going to the NIT. You know, nobody enjoys going whatever Ole Miss did, like 42 and 26 and then missing Omaha. It's just it becomes and the narrative, again, gets old and becomes the same, you know, whether you call it hitting a ceiling or anything else. And so I I think it's just it sometimes I think Ole Miss fans feel like they're running on a treadmill, you know, or something like that. When when talking about these programs, it's just kind of been the same thing. As frustrated as Ole Miss fans were in the regular season, how good this team was supposed to be, falling short, losing six of their seven uh, last regular season games, it didn't matter come the postseason. It didn't matter. And that was the whole conversation leading into the year. If Ole Miss plays okay during the regular season, but in the postseason they turn it on, will it matter? No, it didn't. That's all anybody ever cared about. Attendance was down not just because of weather, but because in the regular season no one cared. Tell me what they do once they get to the postseason. (laughs) Will they get out of a regional? Will they host? Will they win a super? 
they did a lot of good things. They made a heck of a run in the SEC tournament. They swept the Oxford Regional. They went one-to-one with Arkansas. It's the way the season ended. And all of that goodwill built over a three-week span is quickly eliminated. Fair or not, and for me, not so fair. But again, you can't judge this in a vacuum with Mike Bianco anymore. It's 20 years going into next year. But one bad day, and you lose 14-1. to Had you lost 6-5? to I don't know if the reaction is this intense, but 14 to 1, 14 to 1. In some ways, I think it's almost better to lose 14 to 1. <laughs> you know, yeah, people yeah. by the by the fourth inning, everybody was like, well, I'm going to get on with my work day. You know, enough. <laughs> I've seen enough here. I was and one then, of those people. I had all my story written, two stories actually written by the end of like the seventh inning. All I had to do was add quotes. It was great from a work perspective, right. from a coverage sure. perspective. I knew the storm in which I was about to walk into. Sure. And there was, and I really don't think, you know, certainly it gives people a couple more hours to vent like during the rest of the game. But I think even if they had lost seven to five in heartbreaking fashion in the 14th inning, I, I still think reaction would just be the same, that there's a certain hump that Mike Bianco struggles to get over. Well, what is he, that? I, I, is there something to it? You and I are big baseball nerds. You're one of those that can balance the quantifiable and non-quantifiable better than I can. I I have a tendency to be a a slave to the numbers. But there's got to be something to this. You can't keep getting to these points and falling short and there not be something. It's impossible to pinpoint it, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. What what is it? Before we get to that answer from David, got to take a minute real quick to talk about the Oxford Park Commission. Because registration for the 2019 fall youth soccer season in the Oxford Park Commission has begun. Cost to take part, just $50. Leagues are for both girls and boys, and they're based on birth year. The season will run August 19th through October 3rd, and all games are played at the state's top-rate facility, FNC Park. For more information, visit www.oxfordparkcommission.com. That's www.oxfordparkcommission.com. You don't want to miss registration. It's only 50 bucks. All you got to do, go to www.oxfordparkcommission.com. That's, it's just such an interesting question. And I think you're right. It, it kind of goes between what, what you're able to quantify and what you're not. I mean, some of it, there is an element of that's baseball, you know, not to throw a Ron Polk reference into a, Ole Miss podcast, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, you yeah, know, you baseball, get 10 lashings for that, sir. <laughs> right. But, you know, there is an element to that with baseball, but there, there's also, I, I do think stuff you can't quantify. It's why, you know, the Cubs went a century without a world series. It's why, you know, the Red Sox went forever. I do think some of that mystique, some of that kind of builds up, even though the players aren't the same. You know what I mean? That's one thing about college ball. Your players are totally turning over every three or four years. Um, You know, there's different personalities with different types of teams. What's the one constant during 19 years? It's Mike Bianco. And certainly he came from a background that went to Omaha all the time, that all they knew was success. I think Mike has obviously done it before as a player, as an assistant coach, even once as a head coach. At Ole Miss, he knows how to win. I don't think he forgot. Um, but but something happened along the way. Um, and again, there's an element of that's baseball. But I, I think there's a 
And it wasn't as, as evident this time around. I didn't think Ole Miss was playing tight. Like you said, I think they had a bad day and they lost and Arkansas is really good. Um, but, but over the years, you know, like I remember covering that Virginia super regional in, in 2009 and, and just at different times last year in the regional that the team has played kind of tight and again, hard to quantify, uh, but you sort of know it when you see it. And I think there's been elements of that. So, um, I think there's a portion of it that's bad luck and there's a portion of it that for whatever reason, it, it's gotten in the program's head a little bit and it's become, the moments become too big occasionally. I really don't think that was the case this year, just because I think Arkansas was good, but especially last year, you know, losing those two games on Monday, I, I think that that was a mental aspect as much as a physical one. I, I think this year they just lost to a good team. You just add fuel to the fire, and it's a question in the mailbag. When you, for example, drastically change your lineup in the final game of the season, it's the final game of the season, and you drastically change your lineup, moving Tyler Keenan down to six and Ryan Olenek up to two because you believe in the matchups that Tyler Keenan can't hit left-handed pitching. I saw that. And when you start making those decisions, or Knox LaPasser, for example, starting at designated hitter, but then you burn him for a pinch runner in the second inning, but you don't pull Gunnar Hoagland, who in his second time through the order, has like a batting average of 600 against, and he's running into trouble. You're down 2-1, to one, and you don't go to the bullpen. Now, Austin Miller and Parker Caracy both were bad against Arkansas. It wouldn't have mattered because both of those guys didn't pitch well after having pitched pretty well, if not great, for Parker Caracy, um in the postseason. So you do those things, you're lending credence to those critics who say, Something changes with you. You let the pressure get the best of you. A lot of questions about Mike Bianco and Ole Miss baseball in the mailbag. That's coming up in just a little bit. But first, it'll be Tyler Siski, Ole Miss football assistant AD for player personnel. He heads up Ole Miss football recruiting. It's been a great run for Ole Miss football lately, picking up eight commitments in eight days. He can't talk about these players specifically. They're still recruitable athletes. They haven't signed. But... We can talk about the strategy. And after Tyler, I'm going to come back with David, and we're going to go through the mailbag. So many questions. It's going to be a long morning for David and I. So everybody say thank you to David. Thank you, David, for taking the time to sit down and go through this mailbag. But first is Tyler Siski on the Cheney's Pharmacy phone line. Going now to the Cheney's Pharmacy phone line to speak to Tyler Siski. Ole Miss recruiting, football recruiting has picked up eight commitments in eight days. Now, Tyler can't talk specifically about players, not recruitable athletes, but you can talk about what a good time it is, Tyler. How you doing, first of all? What's going on? Doing great. How you guys doing? Good, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Eight commitments in eight days. It's been a whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind. What's the summer been like? Y'all have had camps. Y'all have had commitments. Is this the busiest time for you outside of I guess the best way to put it, nut cutting time come the early signing period and then the February signing period. This seems like a busy, busy time for Ole Miss football recruiting, getting a lot of these guys in the boat. Yeah, you know, since the NCAA kind of changed the recruiting calendar around with the early signing day and so on and so forth, a couple of years ago, June has become, you know, arguably the most important month um, in recruiting. Um, it's the time when we obviously have our camps. Uh, we get it. We have to narrow our focus down and, you know, we try to get it inside of, you know, 75, 50 to 75 names is kind of what we try to get it to after camp. Uh, also getting commitments um, strategically, you know, getting those kids to go um, public at certain times. You know, we're uh, probably most people are familiar. We're, we're obviously working on a different number right now than what's public. 
uh, and, you know, strategically getting those kids to go uh, public at certain times to create momentum to help other, you know, there's always a end game to try to get other guys, you know, to create momentum. So it's a, it's a very, very busy month. What is that strategy like for getting commitments that commit to you guys privately to go public? What is that like? What is the planning stages for that from your end? You know, it, it depends. It, it depends on the kid. It changes every year. There's no blanket strategy. Um, you have to be able to. It, it's just. It's kind of like. Uh, you know, when you're when you're cooking your grandmother's favorite dish, and and there's no recipe, you just got to put a little touch of this, a little touch of that. There's, you know, there's depending on the kid who you're trying to get, who you're trying to you know influence, who you're trying to create momentum for. You got to do things at different times. Are y'all surprised anymore when a kid makes a commitment? It feels like it's all coordinated at this point. I, I'm personally never surprised, even on the hat days and when they do. Uh, I, I can't. I think it's been six years since I was actually surprised on one. So I would say 99.9% of the time when a kid commits, uh, we've known about it. For, I mean, even to us or to another school, period, we've known about it for a while. See, that's what's so fascinating. I've been covering this for quite some time. I don't cover it like I used to, but – Back in the day, I'd say even 10 years ago, a lot of the times the schools and the media and the fans would all learn at the same time. The hat ceremonies were surprises for everyone, and you'd have these cameras in from ESPN sitting in the war rooms of different schools and the coaches erupting. Now, some of it became staged over the course of the next couple of years, but in those early days, we were all learning together. Social media then seems to have changed the game, and y'all have had to change in turn because of it. Uh, has that contributed to this as far as not surprising coordination, all that kind of stuff? How big of a game changer has social media been? Yeah. <laughs> social media has definitely, uh, I guess, changed the perception of recruiting. Uh, you know, everybody has to have the graphics. Everybody has to have the video or whatever. That's kind of now the mode of release of, you know, I'm committed to where, and again, like you said earlier, it used to be a press conference or TV and, and those things have changed, and, and, you know, I think it's, well, been been talked about before, but I remember in 2013 when, when ESPN was in our facility for signing day, I can't remember. They said, hey, can you come in the room and act excited when this kid commits? And I was like, okay, we had, you know, or when he signs, and, you know, uh, and it was on TV, and we, you know, we already had the NLI in our hand, you know, an hour and a half before that. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's changed a bunch, you know, social media, you know, it's a it's a cesspool of negativity, uh, but it's just it's part of our culture now, and we have to deal with it. But I refuse to participate in the in the negativity with the trolls and all that stuff. It's just you know everybody has a voice, and everybody's gonna have their own opinion. Uh, yeah, but Tyler, you can be a troll a little bit too. You you've gotten to become like the GIF king. Uh, you put it out there, you have some fun with it. You, you got some trolling in you, Tyler. You got a little bit of it. You know, I never have. That's what's that's what's funny is I actually never have, but just because. I haven't told why am I doing it. It'll all come out eventually. But I love it. Is, I guess is there is there is there truth? Is is it trolling if you're telling the truth? Is what it is. Trolling can be a blanket statement. I like to troll just by saying or putting up like an emoji that means nothing, and then the fans be like, "What does that mean?" That's always the fun thing. I think there's positive and negative trolling. Yours has been positive. Yeah, trolling. I think I think people. Yeah, I think people read a little bit too much into it. Um, there you go. You know, that's probably that's probably the. Uh, the best part and then the people who dish it out can't take it that's the other that's the other best part about it is you know if you you know i've always learned if you're gonna dish it out you better take it but then it's that's when people get all upset because they they like to uh dish it out but they get they get their feelings hurt when when it's on them 
I, I just love that now we're analyzing GIFs and pictures and it's emojis. All- everything has a meaning now, Tyler. Everything. Yeah, so it, it, yeah everything. You know, everything's got a meaning. Uh, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's, sometimes it's funny. But, yeah, people take it too serious. I think if they take it for what it's worth, uh, it wouldn't be uh, such a big deal. Well, you mentioned camps. The summer camp schedule is always intense. For Ole Miss, what is a summer camp like for a highly recruitable athlete? Yeah, so, you know, summer camps, everything we do, we have a purpose and a strategy for. Um, I think it's very important for us to do our camps early um, to get first crack at guys that are going to get on the camp circuit and blow up. It gives up. That's why we do them early. Um, but so if we get a guy, and, and the state of Mississippi is full of these, of these kids, you know, that show up, you don't know a whole lot about them. And for late developers, you know, and I get some of the, when it comes to the gurus who like to rank players, you know, when you watch a kid that's a junior, you're watching a kid, the film is nine months old. Okay. And, you know, PS, these kids are 16 and 17 year old kids. And, you know, that's kind of when kids grow or they flourish. And, you know, so they got film, they show their athleticism, what they can do on film, what kind of football player they are. But then when they show up at camp nine months later, they put on 30 pounds. They've dropped their 40 time, two and three tenths. And it gets us a chance at the late developers first um, before they go. And, and we can kind of guys that, that, that pop up like that, you're able to go ahead and try to get a lead on them and try to, you know, sometimes even get it over with before it gets started. So, Doing doing the camps early is is a is a critical part to our uh, strategy, but it's a nonstop. We do roughly about 16 camps in 10 days, um, and it's a nonstop uh, organized chaos. That's probably the best way to put it. For a kid looking for an offer that comes to camp, been thinking about offering them, but wants to get that offer in hand, is there a checklist that they have to? get the boxes checked off to where they can get that offer. Maybe it's 40 time cone, short yeah, shuttle. Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we do, uh, uh, I mean, I, I would, I think the number was roughly, uh, 4,500 kids that have been evaluated, um, in the 2020 class, you know, guys that let's talk about, you know, guys that don't have offers. So if, you know, player X, he, there are reasons why he doesn't have an offer, and we we put those reasons um, in the evaluation. We discuss those reasons in the evaluation. We discuss them as a staff. You know, everybody has independent thoughts, and then we come together as a staff and come and, and come to the conclude uh, to a conclusion of what he needs to do uh, in order to you know receive that offer. And then we know that going in, uh, we know who's coming. So. Okay, player X. Okay, he's got. It may be he has to run sub four six in the forty. It may be he has to show us he he can come in and out of transition and breaks as a defensive back. It may be he has to show us he's got good balance and body control as a receiver. We need to see his ball skills. Whatever it is, each player has different things, and and then uh, we put them through those drills or activities, whatever it is, to uh, demonstrate that they've you know got those things. Is there a past player that sticks out to you that was a camp star that was maybe under the radar that turned out to be a hell of a player once he got to college? Uh, here at Ole Miss, Evan Ingram um, is the one that sticks out. First thing, first one in my mind. Uh, didn't have a whole lot going on. Came to camp. I remember. I don't know why. It just. I don't remember a lot of things. I, I guess. Guess I'm getting older. Been hitting the head too many times. <laughs> but I. I do remember Evan Ingram. 
in camp dominating one-on-ones on the top practice field going back towards the stadium over and over again. I just remember visually being there watching him dominate um, one-on-ones. Uh, and we decided, you know, it confirmed our offer, even though he was an undersized guy. I think he was 207 pounds. I don't know why that sticks in my head, but he was 207 pounds when he was at camp. And a guy that, that we decided to go on ended up being a really good player. Um, obviously, he's a first-round draft pick. But um, he, for some reason, just sticks out my mind because I just remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, Zedrick Woods is one for me when I used to go out there for all the camps and stand out there every single day, hours on end, watching prospects. I don't know what I'm looking at, but Zedrick Woods steps up and runs the fastest 40 in camp. Now, four years later, runs the fastest 40 of his position group at the NFL Combine. So summer camps are significant as far as y'all's evaluation. When you're at camp, as far as getting these players in different positions as far as running their 40s and stuff and having the right eyeballs on them, how does the coordination aspect of it work? Yeah, so and you, you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about eyeballs. There's a, there's a saying, and I, I use it, I call it trust your eyes. Uh, we, you can watch film all day long with a kid and have an opinion. Um, you can tell really quickly when you see them in person and moving around in person um, if they're a guy or not. Um, I, I joke around. I say it's kind of like, you know, when you watch horse races. You know, we just Belmont just came through uh, last week. But when the horses come out in the paddock and, they, you know, you got your horses coming out, the thoroughbreds, and they're and they're coming down the line. They have those. Uh, I don't even know the proper term. But they have those horses that are kind of keep them calm on the side. You know, whatever they. I don't know what the proper term is, but they're horses too. But there's a huge difference between the thoroughbred and the horse on the side. And this is not rocket science. You know, when you come to when they come to camp, they either look like the guys that we're playing with and against, or they don't. You know, that's where you start. Do they look like the guys that we're playing with? Do they look like our guys? Do they look like LSU's guys, Alabama's guys? Do they look like that or do they not? That's where you start. And then when you go through the drills, can they play like those guys or can they not? And when you see that and you can compare that live, you can make decisions fairly quickly and fairly easily. And it's just it's not it's not as hard as everybody thinks if you just if you've you know been doing it for 20 years, it's, it kind of naturally occurs. Brendan Chapman came on this podcast and laid out how the Shark Tank works, how Ole Miss recruiting has been completely overhauled under you. And I asked him, but I want to ask you yourself, when it comes to star rankings, that's what Ole Miss fans and fans across the country, that's what they can pay attention to. How much stock do you put in them, if any at all? Uh, zero for me. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I can't. It doesn't matter. You know, it's gotten to the point to where, you know, it's it's become a, a thing where, you know, uh, 247 has their guys. Rivals has their guys. ESPN has their guys. But, you know, one site, he's a national recruit. One site, he's three stars. One site, he has zero stars. So, you know, when when I have a conversation with a, uh, a supporter, they come and, hey, what about this guy? I, or, you know, some of them say, man, that's a great get. Some guy goes, why in the world are you recruiting that guy? And the other guy goes, yeah, he's a solid player. So, you know, I think for it to steer thoughts, I, you know, a lot of people go on without even watching the guy's tape. You know, I don't I don't understand what the problem is with a six foot two, 240-pound linebacker that has really good instincts and runs a, you know, 4'6 flat. You know, the problem is is because the kids don't go to camps. 
if a kid goes to a camp like their camp, you know, whether it be the Nike camp, Under Armour camp, the whatever camp, you know, and 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 does really well at that camp, then he's going to get a lot of stars. If he doesn't go, they don't have a chance to evaluate him. And the problem is not that, and a lot of people don't understand this either. I get it. The problem is not that the kid's a three-star player. They may not have had a chance to evaluate him. There's just not enough people doing the job. There's too many players to watch. And I can't personally care because if I start looking and, and worried about what they're ranked, it's going, it's not a real, it's not our evaluation. And I'm personally going, it's, it's our livelihood on the line. Um, and to think that we're not going to sign the best possible players that we can sign, I mean, we have to feed our families. We have to win football games. We know that that's part of, we wake up every morning for the last 20 years and we're, that's what we do. So I can't let that because somebody thinks that we should take a guy. We have to get the best guys so we can feed our families. Okay, so if Ben Garrett, he's a fringe offer Ole Miss prospect, comes to okay. camp, what is his schedule going to be like? I get there at 8 a.m., I sign in, I do my registration. Where are you sending me? Yeah, so we're first thing we'll do is we, we get an official height weight. You know, those are always wrong. They're always recorded wrong. And this is if we've never seen you before. Let's start, we'll start there. Uh, just your film. Uh, we're going to get an official height, weight, arm length, hand size uh, to see where you're at. Uh, there's a certain profile of player that we want for, for every position, a certain requirement kind of that we want, a standard that we want to set. Um, uh, we're going to get you loose, and we're going we're gonna to test you in a 5-10-5, and that is the shuttle for those that don't know. Um, that gives us a good indication on change of direction. Um, we're also going to film that 5-10-5. Because a lot of times, let's say a guy has a uh, a marginal five ten five. Well, why did he have it? Did he run to the best of his ability, or did he slip? You know, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna watch it and see how that is. But we film every drill. Um, but we're and it also for time verification, so we can go back and actually time it off the camera too to make sure the times are accurate. Uh, then we're going uh, following that. We're going to do the vertical jump. That that tells us a lot about explosion. Uh, an explosive power that you have. Uh, anybody, and we use mats, these, well, they're called vertimats, okay? We use those. Um, but anybody that jumps over 30 inches, then we're going to take them over, and our strength staff is going to do a further verification on what you see at the NFL Combine, which is the, I don't even know the name of the machine, but when they flip the tabs and stuff up top, it's the, the, the most accurate vertical that you can record. Um but we only do that with guys that are over 30 inches because it really doesn't matter unless you're over 30 inches, depending on the, and we don't care, uh, O-line and all that stuff. It's more as skill players. So we're going to, uh, we'll, we'll test you there. Uh, then we'll go to the 40 and the same thing. All these are filmed for verification of time, but on the forties, we're going to have about nine, you know, approximately nine watches on the forties. Uh, we usually drop the low, we drop the high and then we average the seven. And then we'll take that average, and then they'll be verified on, on film uh, after camp. Uh, our Shark Tank, it, it just does a, a phenomenal job. You know, what they're responsible for filming, um, you know, usually within 30 minutes of the camp, uh, each kid's uh, profile has already been updated with all their camp film on there and they're cut up, so we can immediately go in and watch uh, the film and make a decision. So, um, and then with Ben, whatever you're, whatever you're lacking, let's say it's, it's, you know, we want to see how you come out. We're, we're concerned about your transition uh, coming out of breaks when we go to whatever your, 
are lacking, uh, then we're going to put you through those drills to see if you can do it or not. That drill is going to be filmed. We'll see what we see live. We'll watch the film that we just filmed, and then we'll come to a conclusion. As far as the numbers are concerned, you got 13 commitments. How many can y'all take in this class? How many are you looking to take in this class? Before we get to that answer from Tyler Siski about the numbers for this football recruiting class, real quickly, wanted to tell you about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. And I'm not going to take long, but this is a testimonial. Earlier this week, I had to bite the bullet. I had to buy a new car. My wife's expedition was on its last legs. I was tired of pouring money into a car that I didn't know how much longer it was going to last. So I went over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, called him up first and said, guys, this is what I'm looking for. I'm accepting my lot in life. I am now a van dad. I need a minivan. Brian says, Ben, no problem. We've got the perfect car for you. It was a 2019 Chrysler Pacifica. And I know what you're thinking already. Wait, that probably cost you an arm and a leg. Your monthly payment has to be through the roof. Nope, they fit my budget. I didn't think I could afford that van, but they gave me a good, fair trade-in value for the expedition, and my monthly payment is better than I could have ever imagined as far as fitting into my monthly budget. I show up. It was waiting for me at the door. Mason opens up the door. I look inside, loaded up, leather, Sirius XM radio, Bluetooth, CarPlay, everything I was looking for in a car. I didn't even have to walk around the lot. Didn't have to do anything. And it's not just because they support this podcast. It's not just because they sponsor this podcast that they set that up for me. That's the experience it can be for you. My in-laws recently bought a new car. Took them four hours to get in and out, run the credit report, fill out the paperwork, and drive away. You know how long it took me? One hour. And the only reason why it took an hour is because Brian and Mason and myself talking all about Ole Miss baseball. Then we talked Ole Miss football, what was coming up in the fall, as I'm filling out the paperwork. And you might be wondering, Ben, why didn't you ask a bunch of other questions? Why didn't you ask them about the engine or how many miles? It's got 12,000 miles on it. I know the engine's good. Why do I know these things? Because I trust these guys. I trust Brian. I trust Mason. I don't like the car buying process. I never have. And I know you don't either. Most people don't. So if you're looking for a seamless car buying process, there's no other place to go. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. And right now they got deals going on. You can go buy a truck on sale right now. I think it's like 15% off. If you're looking for the car, the truck, the Jeep that fits your family, that's exactly what you're looking for. I was looking for a Chrysler Pacifica. I got it. This is the only place to go. So go check them out. It's Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. They're at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. You can give them a call at 662-234-8000. 662-234-8000. That's 2201 East University Avenue, Oxford, Mississippi. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. 662-234-8000. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. And now, back to Tyler Shisky. Uh, we're going to try to take a full class. I mean, we're not, um, I, I guess I've, I've been asked a bunch. Hey, it's a small class. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where that came from. We, we do have, we have to have some attrition along the way for us to do that. Uh, we are aware of that. We have 16 seniors on scholarship right now. Um, so anything we take over that, somebody uh, would have to transfer or whatever. Uh, but, but all that being said, that also allows us to be, selective we don't have to go we're not required to go to that number uh but we're not going to pass up great players yeah for example like Devontae Ruggs and Josh Clark leave that opens up two spots that y'all can use right correct does that make sense and and you don't have to be you don't have to be to that number until August of uh 2020 so there's a lot of times we're talking you know 
we're talking what's that 15 months i don't know them i'm not bad 14 months whatever it is go way before you have to be at that number but um it's going to allow us to be selective it's going to allow us to uh because we're not required to sign more than that uh but we will also we're not going to pass on great players um uh, far, you know, and I, like I told you before, I think we're working off a little bit different number. That's that's uh, what's public, uh, but that's just you know that's part of the <laughs> part of the recruiting deal. And I apologize, and that probably gives a lot of uh, fans angst and all that stuff. But there's a method to the madness. I promise you. No, just go ahead and tell me the number. It'll just stay between you and me and all the thousands <laughs> of people that listen to this. That's all, that's all you got to do. Just give me your recruiting yeah, right now. I'm I'm being kidding. Yeah. Um, real quick, there's before, a method to the madness. You know. Yeah, for sure. And uh, before we get out of here. I wanted to ask you quickly, um, is there any possibility of a transfer or grad transfer between now and fall camp? That, that can be a simple yes or no question if you want it to be. Uh, is there, there's always a possibility. Uh, we're constantly, I mean, this is a daily thing with us. Uh, we get in the transfer portal every single morning, that's, and it's just ridiculous. Um, but by the time they're in the transfer portal, it's usually too late um, to – get on the guy it's just very and i've said this before and i'll keep saying it if the guy if he's a really good player and particularly at this level if the guy is good enough to play and contribute and be a great player in the southeastern football conference why is he leaving his current school because i know the coach doesn't that where he's at doesn't want him to leave so there's you gotta you gotta really do your homework and figure out why is the guy leaving, and you know because you you don't want to bring issues to your program. You really gotta there's there's a lot of homework that has to go there. So uh, you just gotta keep that in mind. It's not as simple as there's not just first round draft picks going in the portal every day. You have to really figure out, and, and that's just a lot of. A lot, a lot, a lot of work goes into that. So it's a daily grind. It's, it's controls our thoughts. But, yes, but we do have a spot available, uh, but it's not as easy as just going to Portland and picking one. Finally, getting to the last question, now that everything is settled, the NCAA stuff is gone, coaching changes have happened, Mike has his – I mean, Mike. Matt has his entire I'm, – I'm still talking baseball. Mike Bianco, that's been in my brain, Tyler. Sorry. Uh, but <laughs> I know. Matt's got his whole coaching staff settled. It's his coaching staff. Now you're finally on the footing of operating this program as normal as it can possibly be, normal as it's not been in years. What's been the benefit of that, and what's the environment, the mood for you, for everyone involved with Ole Miss football, not having any more restrictions, or more than that, just being able to worry about doing your job to the best of your ability? Yeah, my favorite part, I think I told uh, maybe it was – David Johnson, I was telling the other day, I can't remember it at, at uh, camp, but the most the most exciting part for me has been, you know, the first time we had team run after, uh, you know, with with Paul Jackson, when, with everybody here, all 31 guys here, and seeing a full football team, SEC football team out there was like, you know, it was the most refreshing. I mean, we looked like a team. Uh, I'm excited. I think we're going to be really talented. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of uh, really, really anxious to kind of get to fall camp and uh, see what these guys can do. That's that's refreshing, and and we got great kids. I think our our guys that we we got in here. I mean, they're you know all 31 of them. That was something that was important for us. You know, in our 
recruiting strategy. I know it's a method to the madness, um, but we, we were not in a position to get to, for us to get to 85. We had to get 31 guys here on campus that, that, that had to happen. And when you had 32 spots, we were saving the one for the grad transfer, but when you have 31, for us to get to 85, getting 31 people here on campus was, had to happen. And so that, that affected some of the recruiting strategy um, on some young men, if that were borderline qualifiers or didn't make it, or, you know, we weren't, we're not in a position to sign a guy and then place him somewhere. So getting to 85 was our number one goal. Uh, we accomplished that. Um, and getting the kind of kids that we have here, I'm, I'm very excited moving forward. He's Tyler Siski, assistant AD for player personnel for Ole Miss football. Thanks for doing this, man. Now that the camp circuit is done, try to enjoy yourself a little bit. Go play some golf. Maybe take the family to the beach. Get away from it for a minute, Tyler. You don't want to drive yourself crazy here. Well, we got two weeks. We're we're, we're we've been pretty busy the last forty eight hours. If y'all couldn't tell, but uh, we're trying. You know, it's you know, method of madness. We got two weeks before the dead period starts, and then um, I'm going to get lost for about three weeks. So I uh, look forward to it. Well, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. All right. Take care. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Cheney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. It's a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at Cheney's Pharmacy. Cheney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. That was Tyler Siski, assistant AD for player personnel for Ole Miss football on the Cheney's Pharmacy phone line. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's David Brandt at David Brandt AP. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions. It's mailbag time. Mail time. The mail's here. You've got mail. Special mail for you. This is a letter to Hollywood saying, keep it up. Movies are great. It's mailbag time here on Talk of Champions. Time to open up the mailbag, the Twitter mailbag, for your Ole Miss or not Ole Miss questions. It doesn't matter. We haven't looked at the questions, Dave and I. We're just going to answer them as they come. We talked about Mike Bianco to start the show. And the first question comes from Sam Wells. And he's asking about Mike Bianco. How does Ole Miss get Mike Bianco to take the soon-to-be-open Florida State job? I'm a hang-up and listen. Here's the deal. Mike Bianco wants to be the winningest coach in SEC baseball history. He created Ole Miss baseball. He made Ole Miss baseball what it is. He's not leaving here unless he's forced to. And right now, whether you like it or not, there's nobody to truly hire or fire a baseball coach. Keith Carter is the acting interim athletics director but how much power does he have? I don't know. Ross Bjork, before he left for Texas A&M, had Ole Miss not made his run to a Super Regional. He was going to have, quote, a hard conversation about Mike Bianco. That's what he told me. That's what he told Chuck at the Ole Miss Spirit. And in AD talk, that means he was going to consider firing him. And I think he would have ended up firing him. Had he still been here, making that run to the Super Regional, I think that saved Mike Bianco's job at Ole Miss. Keith Carter's not going to fire Mike after that. Now, going into next year, it's going to be somewhat of a rebuild. Who the AD is, will they want to make a change? I think next year could determine whether or not Mike Bianco is here even longer than his 20 seasons at Ole Miss. But regardless of where it ends up, the career of Mike Bianco 
has to be celebrated, should be celebrated. There should be no bad blood once he does stay or leave. I, I think that needs to be remembered, David, that there's nobody here right now. This is a leadership-less university. There's no chancellor. There's no AD. So everyone wanting to talk about this right now, there's no place for it. There's nobody to do this bidding. Well, and I think, like you said, he saved his job anyway, even if there were a president, even if Ross Bjork were still here. I, I think the run to the Super Regional definitely saved his job, at least for one more year. I, I think, again, it's kind of a cumulative thing where Mike is in a position now that one bad year, like say they don't make the NCAA tournament next year, then it becomes really tough really quickly for him. But um, but you know, we could be talking about, and I think you're absolutely right too, that Mike's not going anywhere. And, you know, the Florida state job, I know the question was kind of tongue in cheek and everything, but you know, Mike Martin's son, I believe is going to get that Florida state job. Uh, th that's what I've heard. So anyway, but yes, Mike's legacy, I think will be at Ole Miss unless for some reason it's ended and he might go somewhere else, but he's not, I don't think he's leaving for any reason. At Nate underscore Bloomberg, what Ole Miss team had the most hype going into the season, but let you down the most. Mine was football 2016. Ole Miss football 2009. Jevin Sneed had Heisman hopes going into that season. Todd McShay. That's what I would have said. Yeah, had ranked him number one in that draft class at quarterback. I think number one overall was his projection going into the year. It's 2009. Yeah. The Cotton Bowl was a disappointment. Think about that. The floor we thought for that team was the cap one bowl. I was preparing. Kentrell Lockett and I, Kentrell has co-hosted this show a lot. He used to be the regular co-host until life got in the way. And I have joked with him for years, ever since 2009, about that Mississippi State loss. I have not let him live it down. Going into that week, going into that game, I was talking to Kentrell. We've been friends for a long time. I was like, oh, it's Mississippi State coming. Don't worry about it, man. Who cares about Mississippi State? We own Mississippi State. And they go get their butts kicked and end up going to the Cotton Bowl. And people were disappointed in going to the Cotton Bowl. But the Cap One Bowl, going to Disney World, all of Ole Miss fans celebrating the bowl after the big, notable national bowls didn't happen. So there was disappointment going to the Cotton Bowl. That 2019, that for me, is the most disappointing. I just remember from that year, you remember the South Carolina game on a, what that was a Thursday night, you know, away and they, they lost. And I just remember that was my first experience as a beat writer, like dealing with the crush on Twitter and stuff like that when people were so angry and, and it just, that was an exhausting, just the, the, you know, you talked about the fan base upset after that Arkansas baseball game. Oh, my gosh, the fan base. And this was the early Wild Wild West days of Twitter, even more wild than it is now. Um, and, whew, that was that was a rough couple days afterwards, just dealing with the fallout. The, the expectations were so high, and they, they not only lost but looked so bad doing it. That's I remember that as, as being – I don't know about, you know, not again, disappointing, but from a fan base getting built up so high and then the thud, I, that was a big one. At Larry Joe eight, did T'Challa let Bucky stay in Wakanda because he needed a white guy to talk to the cops if they showed up? First, racist, Larry, racist. But two, Wakanda's hidden from the rest of the world. The cops are Wakandan. What are you talking about? You racist. Ole Miss Rebs at Ole Miss Sports 67. Project the Ole Miss starting lineup for next year. I'm assuming it's baseball. Knox LaPosser or Dunhurst at catcher. First base, Kevin Graham. Second base, Justin Bent. Shortstop, Anthony Servideo. Tyler Keenan at third. In left, Connor Walsh or a newcomer. 
Center field, Justin Hall get first crack at that. And then right field, Tim Elko. And then the pitchers, Doug Nikhazy, Gunnar Hoagland, and a third guy. Zach Phillips gone. Houston Roth probably gone. Well, I think he's absolutely gone, but that's neither here nor there. So that's probably the best crack at it. Hunter Kinneberg at Hunt Kinneberg. Did you watch Chernobyl? If not, you should. Really, really good show. I have not. After Game of Thrones, I ran through Deadwood, including the movie. Loved it. It's probably my favorite show ever now. Now I'm on the West Wing. What shows are you watching right now, David? I am not. I've heard Chernobyl's awesome. And I, you know, it's a it's a topic that I would love to dive into. Um, you know, I've enjoyed I'm not all the way through it, but Veep is really good. Uh, I watched Veep. Actually, I should have mentioned that I crushed Veep before I crushed Deadwood. I was on the road a lot, so I had a lot of TV I could watch is easily outside of 30 Rock. My second favorite comedy show ever. Parks and Rec was up there. The office ended poorly. So the office fell a few notches. Veep was consistently good. Now, it changed a little bit when the original showrunner left, and it became a little bit more predictable and the characters more marginalized. But like Jonah Ryan is one of my favorite characters ever in any show. Yeah, I just, I mean, the, the writing is real, you know, it's smart, it's funny, it's quick. I just, I, I like the, I don't know, the cadence, the pace of the show. It's, it's just good. I enjoy it. I mean, my favorite all time as far as seeing every, I love Arrested Development. You know, but there are very few shows. I mean, The Office, I've seen most of those. Um, but have you I ever watched Friday Night Lights? I have not. You would love it. Have you ever watched The Wire? No. I mean, I've watched the first couple episodes, and they're amazing. But for me, this is just me personally, like Game of Thrones, The Wire, Breaking Bad, all those different things. I've seen a few of the shows, and they're great, the ones I've seen. But it takes so much energy and investment. They're just so intense that I don't carve out the time to really get through them. That's it's like a personality flaw I have or something like that. So I enjoy shows that are kind of quick, light, you know, the office veep uh, arrested development was like that. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, you know, just different shows like that. I, I really haven't gotten into some of the, I did enjoy the Sopranos a lot. I've seen most of those shows. See, I wasn't um, a big Sopranos guy, and I know that's kind of crazy to hear, but it didn't blow me away. I think it's because I saw it so late, and I'd seen all the other ones. It kind of set the course for The Wire and um, right. Deadwood well, shows that like the that. Kind of thing. I saw a lot of the Sopranos like when they came out, like I was in college, and it was yeah, it's so groundbreaking, groundbreaking television. Yeah, right. It was so groundbreaking at the time. I've gone back and like watched it. It's still really good. It holds up, but you're right. Like compared to. It just if if you go back and watch it now in 2019, it's the groundbreaking part of it is is not quite there. It's like The Wire and Deadwood took the formula and did it even better. And right, it, if you can appreciate it for what it was and the groundbreaking television that it was, that's where The Sopranos becomes one of the greatest of all time. But for me, I was spoiled by having seen the other shows that came after it that were influenced by The Sopranos uh, right. that made Sopranos it a tougher watch. What, showed what TV could be and what it became. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Clay Bermuda, Brand the Broken, what TF, cover years, this is Game of Thrones. It made no sense. Do I think this could be the end game for George R. R. Martin? Yes. I think this is where it ends up. But Brand in the television show and Brand in the books are totally different. And Brand in the television show had no business being on the throne. None. Zero. Spoiler alert for those who hadn't seen Game of Thrones. No business being on the throne. Because now all you do is question his motivations. He allows thousands and thousands, if not millions, to die so that he can end up being on the throne. So now, effectively, Bran was the big bad of the entire story. It made no sense. It was a complete slap in the face of learning John's parentage. His parentage meant nothing in the end. He just went north. 
all of those things playing into part for Brandon and up where he ended up makes that show even more dumb in the last two seasons than it already was. So if you're a Game of Thrones person like David who hadn't seen the show, when you get to the season six finale, let that be the end of Game of Thrones, the show for you. Because if you do, the show is so much better. It'll be the best show you ever watch. Rebel Fan 68, still no NBA presence for Ole Miss. Will Terrence Davis break that trend? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a chance. I think Terrence is an absolute elite athlete. Um, he's a guy I can see defending at the next level. Um, if he continues to improve his shot, you know, all this stuff, I, I obviously, I don't think he's going to be a lottery pick or even a first round guy, but he's a guy in the right situation who's athletic enough. He's got a good attitude. I, you know, I really like that guy. He, he plays hard, a little hit and miss, you know, makes some bad decisions sometimes have to clean that up a little bit, but I, I think he can handle the ball well enough to play point in a, in a pinch. Um, I, I think he's got a chance in the right situation to stick. I, I don't think he'd be a star or anything like that, obviously, but I, he could be a rotation player somewhere if it, if it works out right. Right now projected by some late first pick, really? certainly in the second, gotten multiple interviews with like the Celtics and a few other teams, Utah Jazz being another. He has a chance. One thing TD's going to have to do and improve on Ball handling. At his height, what is he, about 6'3"? Yeah, I'd give him 6'4", in shoes. Yeah, I I mean, but at that height, you've got to be able to handle. You've got to have handles. And and he doesn't have to be a primary point guard, but he has to be able to handle the ball and be able to, you know what I mean, to play the one in a pinch and be a primary ball handler. And so, you know, he he does. I agree. That's kind of – that and his decision-making will what separate him from being – you know, a guy who maybe gets a cup of coffee and a guy who sticks around for 10 years. Drew Horn, my buddy Drew, at Drew Horn. What is your favorite Justin Timberlake song? I know what he wants me to say, so I'll just say it. My favorite Justin Timberlake song is not a bad thing, Drew, and let that be that. Jared Robinson, is there anybody in the current football recruiting class who could jump drastically in the rankings by the time the first signing period comes? Well, David doesn't know anything about recruiting, so let me think. Uh, They've currently got 13 commitments, as you heard from Tyler Siski. Josiah Hayes is already their top-ranked recruit. I don't think he can jump all that much more higher. Um, Austin Keys, three-star linebacker. I think he's got a shot. And Darius Coffey. I tell you, one of my favorite guys, Eli Acker. He's got a ton of offers, great offensive lineman, needs to gain some weight. He could put on some weight and really jump in the rankings. Those are a handful of guys that could really help. Jared Joel, at Jared Joel. Here's a good one, David. Does Jerrion Ely playing football add a W to your win total projection for this year? Scotty, Ely, Penniman, and Snoop seems like a pretty dynamic backfield. I don't think a running back sways the win-loss total for me. Not a freshman running back, as good as he is. Top 75 player, five-star running back, top 50 perhaps. I can't remember. I haven't looked at his ranking lately. But a running back doesn't add a W for me. A quarterback does, most certainly. But a running back, eh. I see them as a potentially 6-6 six and six ball eligible team. But Jerrion Ely... I don't know what you can expect him to be in year one. I don't think he's coming in and rushing for 2,000 yards, for example. He's not like he's Adrian Peterson to me right now. I haven't even put my eyes on him as a football player yet. So I wouldn't add a win there. What about you? I agree. I was thinking the same thing as far as it's got to be an Adrian Peterson level. I mean, there's very few running backs that can come in and just immediately, you know, be an entire win above replacement, essentially. Now, I, I want to see him like maybe he will be that type of player, but um, that that's just a tough position. I think as a freshman to totally alter a season, but 
if he if he does, that'd be a great story. Yeah, it'd be great. Make David and I's job a lot easier. <laughs> so, something definitely to write about. Yeah, be more fun. At Dan underscore Rogers two three four. Which players on the baseball team next year need to step up the most? Mine's Elko and Hill. Elko would be my number one. He has to man a corner outfield spot, 100%. But my number two would easily be Justin Bench. You're losing a lot of productivity in your infield. Cole Zabowski's gone. Greg Kessinger's gone. Jacob Adams, uh, he's replaceable, but he's gone. Now you need somebody at second base, more specifically in that infield. Cooper Johnson's gone as well as catcher. So you need somebody to step up and be an offensive presence. So Justin Bench. But Anthony Servideo, as good as he was this year, needs to take a step and be even better next year. So Anthony Servideo is that guy too. He needs to take a great Kessinger leap. He needs to be a anchor for that lineup. Because if you look at the middle, it's Kevin Graham and Tyler Keenan and their question marks everywhere else. So Anthony Servideo, there can be no questions about him. Is there one player in particular returning next year for Ole Miss Space? Baseball, David, that needs to step up and play and be good. Yeah, you stole my thunder a little bit. Servideo is the one that I was thinking of, too, because I I really liked the way he played. You know, he could be incredibly disruptive on the base paths and with some of the stuff he does. You know, I I don't know if he's ever going to be a power guy or anything like that. But I I think a top of the order presence that can steal bases and just a guy that plays good defense. He's just a guy that that really needs to be a catalyst for that team and sort of a different, you know, obviously you can have a guy hit 15 home runs and be a catalyst. I think he'll be different in the regard of maybe just a few homers, but the stolen bases, the defense, the the just being a pain in the rear every single day. And, and they need him to be that player next year. Rebel fan 68. Why is baseball recruiting covered so much less than basketball and football? Could we get a quick rundown of what is coming in next baseball season and who can contribute the most? To your second question first, if you go to the Ole Miss Spirit, OMSpirit.com, a number of my stories I have talked about next year, specifically my 2020 story after the season came to a close on Monday, I listed a lot of the guys who matter, but I'll talk about them in a second. Baseball recruiting is covered so much less than basketball and football because there's less volatility. When a kid is recruited and signed or commits, excuse me, when he commits, all the other schools back off. What makes recruiting what it is? What makes it fun for you, the fan, to follow it? The journey. You want to follow these kids to that point. It's never about the destination. Once the destination happens, people don't care anymore. The commitment story doesn't matter. They care about where is he leaning. You're in for yeah, the, the drama. drama. Yeah, the flips. Yeah. The flipness. You're in for the drama. You're in for the battle between Ole Miss and LSU and Mississippi State. Landing A.J. Brown in Starkville, Mississippi, putting on an Ole Miss hat in Starkville High School. That's what you live for. You don't live for the destination. Once he's made his commitment or his or signed with Ole Miss you don't care anymore now that they've gotten him yeah that's old news for you baseball there is none of that there is no journey these kids come to campus you don't know about it that kid either commits or doesn't or he goes into another school and commits to that school and after he commits it's over so there is no journey to follow there is no drama to follow in baseball and the reason why those schools do that is because there's this gentleman's agreement it's not a rule it's just a gentleman's agreement i don't know why they do it but schools just back off they don't do it anymore they don't recruit these players anymore once they've committed to your school it's a, considered a no-no when a school keeps recruiting a kid after he's committed to a different school so that's why it's covered so much less because you the fan there's no drama to follow the, the all you're getting is a commitment story and you don't care about the commitment you don't care about the destination you've gotten the information that oh so and so is committed to Ole Miss but as far as who can help next year Derek Diamond is number one for me he committed to Stanford and signed with Stanford initially 
He didn't meet academic eligibility requirements at Stanford. He ended up at Ole Miss. He picked Ole Miss over Stanford, LSU, TCU, a number of different schools. He could compete like Gunnar Hoagland did and Doug Nikhazy did for a starting job in the rotation next year. That's number one. Hayden Dunhurst at catcher is going to compete with Knox LaPosser. Connor Walsh is going to compete to start in the infield or outfield, probably the outfield because I think they have more options in the infield. Those are the big names for me. Jerry Ealy, I don't know if he's going to make much of a dent imprint in that team next year. Could he potentially, but his bat has to come a long way. Same thing with John Reese Plumley. I don't know what he is baseball-wise. I don't think he's one of their signees that they're totally relying upon. But those are the big names that you need to pay attention to, not only heading into the summer ball and uh, fall baseball season, but on into the spring as well as almost tries to rebuild after a year in which they lose so much from the draft, their underclassmen, including Greg Kester, who was named the top shortstop in all of college baseball just on Tuesday, I think. Tuesday? Yes, Tuesday. Best overall college baseball shortstop. Great Kessinger. Congrats to him. Forrest Boutwell at Boutwell Forest is Plumley playing baseball too at Ole Miss. Yes. Tyler Lair at Lair Tyler. In the past week, recruits are pulling the trigger for Ole Miss. What coaches have been the most successful in their recruitment? I'm still trying to get over that there's a Derek Diamond is an amazing name. Yeah, that's a baseball name. That's an it's an incredible Ole Miss baseball name too, like yeah. in, a, in a long in the Logan Powers, the Brett Bashams. Derek Brett Basham Diamond. is the best Ole Miss baseball name ever. CJ Ketchum for a catcher is pretty incredible too. Yeah, but, yeah, but Derek Diamond is strong. That's a strong entry. Yeah, yeah. Evan Button. Sorry, didn't mean to hijack. No, 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 no. That, this but. is a good conversation. Evan Button was a great name, but well, yeah, we can't talk about Evan Button. Yeah, Derek Diamond's good. It falls in there. Brett Basham's my favorite, though. It'll always be my favorite. Now, Brett Basham didn't hit the ball that well, but Basham? Basham and Power, sometimes, like, in the same lineup. That's what this Ole Miss team lacked, the true badass baseball name. Maybe Gunnar Hogland is pretty good. There were yeah. some good ones. But when you have an ERA pushing six, eh, it's not the same. You got to have the results with the yeah. – I understand. Justin Bench is good. Justin Bench is good. Justin. Justin's a little too generic, but Bench, that's strong. I always enjoyed Sykes Orvis. Sykes Orvis, that is a great name. He was, was such a, a good dude too. too, wasn't he? He was great to cover. He was. Yeah, just- I only I only interviewed him a couple times, but seemed like a really good dude to cover. He reminded me, just again, I, I know it's blasphemy to cross, but but Jeff Ray, you know, at, at Mississippi State, there was a lot of similarities there in personality. Yeah, he was like a lumberjack. He was great. Tyler Lair. In the past week, recruits are pulling the trigger for Ole Miss. What coaches have been the most successful in their recruitment? Um, Tyrone Nix has been great. Jacob Peeler is an all-star recruiter. Freddie Roach has done a tremendous job with this class in particular. But Jeff Coons, the new linebackers coach, I think he's inside linebackers coach for Ole Miss, he's made an impact immediately on the recruiting trail. So those would probably be the guys. That's the thing about your assistant coaches. They have to be ace recruiters. If your coordinators or your head coach are your best recruiters, Hugh Freeze being the closer, that, that's not what it can be because he's not dealing with a particular kid and bum crap wherever for an entire two-year recruiting period. You need your assistant coaches to be ace recruiters. They're the ones dealing with these kids every single day. And Ole Miss has really built a strong staff, Matt Luke has, of recruiters. And Jeff Coons has really fit in really well there. 601 Reb fan for life at Jerome underscore Billy. Maybe a little premature, but is Cal a winnable game what kind of team do they have coming back? I have no idea. Who, what is Cal like, David? <laughs> um, I, I mean, if you're Ole Miss and you think that you're going to be any good at all, I, I do think that Cal game 
should be winnable. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you're going to win it, but I, I don't know what Cal has coming back yeah, either. I but I, you know, I over the past decade or so, I don't think they've been a world beater in the in the Pac-12. I, I think that's a game you should at least feel like you've got a fighting chance. Or otherwise, it's going to be a pretty long year. It's still too early for me to preview Cal. But once I do, I'll break it down and maybe yeah, I'll we'll, come we'll back to Yeah, we'll get back to, to that one. I yeah, need to, but I will say. I need say, to get my Phil Steele or something. Yeah, yeah. I need my Phil Steele. I need my Walter Camp or whatever it might be. Whatever it is, I need my book to break it down. But I will say, if Ole Miss is to win six games, you have to beat Cal. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the more obvious pathways there. So, again, it's that's that game, Memphis, Arkansas. Those are games, I mean, you probably got to at least win two out of those three to have any realistic chance. Tyler Lair at Lair Tyler. How many recruits can Ole Miss sign this year? You heard Tyler Siski saying that Ole Miss as a staff is operating with a different number that's public, so we don't know the exact number. I was led to believe that it was going to be a smaller class, like 16, 17, 18. I think they're going to sign a full class, and that means more attrition. Attrition happens, especially with the program that's coming back from all the stuff Ole Miss has dealt with. They'll make room and find room to bring in guys that they believe in. They're not going to turn away good players. Bako Reb. What's your opinion on what a successful football season looks like this year, David? A bowl game, in any sort of bowl game. I think going, you know, this is the year that we've been talking about now for like four years as when it was going to kind of reach the bottom. You know, the sanctions kind of really kick in, you know, as far as the numbers and and you're starting to cycle through some of the lean classes. Um, If they can still keep it, in that six and six range this year. And I know that's not like overly exciting, but I I think that that would, you know, for the fan base, for the program, that would sort of show that, you know, they haven't completely bottomed out. You're going in a decent direction, uh, that there's hope in the pretty near future. Rebel fan 68 at rebel fan 68, your thoughts on Steve Robertson having a second book coming out on Ole Miss. I couldn't give less of a shit. Could not give less of a shit. David W. at David Floyd Walk 1. Are we going to get beer at the Vault Pavilion in Swayze? How season ticket sales going? Ticket sales, I asked Keith Carter. He said they have work to do. He didn't give the exact number. They have work to do. I don't know the exact number. When I talked to Ross Bjork at a Rebel Road Trip stop, he had it over 20,000, if not over 30. I don't know if I believe that all that much. Certainly over 20. Should we try to move up the Director Cup standings, or is it impossible without competing in some spots? I don't know what the Director Cup is. I have no clue what that is. What is that? I've heard of that, but I'm I'm confused yeah. now. Director's Cup. Like, yeah, I don't, I, I'm sorry, David. I have no clue what that is. David Floyd Walk, not David Brandt. But David Brandt, are we going to get beer at the Vault Pavilion in Swayze? It sure kind of sounded like it. Wasn't Ross Bjork kind of one of the guys spearheading that a little yes. bit, or at least? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I I I don't think that would. It may not happen this year, but I I don't really. In, unless there's something with Mississippi state law or something like that. You know what I mean? It doesn't Ole Miss have resort status. Can't yes, they? they have resort status so they can sell beer. My question will be, will the entire public be able to get it or will they try to reserve it for like club seating and suites and stuff like that? That's the question that Keith Carter has to deal with, but you're going to have a revolt if club and suites can get beer and no one else can. I think in the end, whenever that end comes, yes, there's going to be beer at every single venue next year. Probably not. Might be a little too soon. But I think sooner rather than later, they're going to have beer sold to the general public. And they should. It's a huge money-making opportunity for the university that needs money. Why wouldn't they? That's dumb if they wouldn't. 
And, and I, I love the conversation, David. People that object to this, they'll say, I don't want to be around a lot of drunks. You're at Ole Miss games. You're already around a lot of drunks. What are you talking about? Have you ever gone to a Major League Baseball game or NFL game where beer is sold? Are you around more drunks there than you are at Ole Miss? Absolutely not. Actually, I could argue that by regulating it, you could have less drunks around you because not every person is going to go buy 10 $8 beers at the stadium. So they won't be drinking as much, but they'll come to the stadium more. Why? Because they can actually drink and continue their party while watching the game. It's a no-brainer. You do it. You have it. You regulate it. You make money off of it. This doesn't seem like a complicated issue to me. Yeah, it feels like sports gambling or something like that. I, you know, I, I think you're right that instead of having people, you know, pound 15 beers right before a game and then come into the stadium that, you know, if you know that you don't have to go dry for three or four <laughs> with old Miss football games, sometimes four hours, four and a half hours, um, you, you know, you're just more likely to drink like a normal human. At Adam Smith Photog. Will anyone chosen in the draft, the MLB draft, choose to stay for their senior season in baseball? No. 601 Rebel Fan for Life adds Rome underscore Billy. This is a good David Brandt question. Is it unrealistic to think that even with a little bit of improvement from the defense and increased red zone touchdowns, that this team could easily be a six-win team? Easily might be a strong word, but yeah, a lot stranger things have happened. I mean, I I think that, you know, Ole Miss could go seven and five if things fell correctly for them. Now, a lot of things would have to go right. You got a lot of guys have to progress. Um, You know, the defense can't get much worse. I say that, you know, for, for Ole Miss's sake, (laughs) I hope not. Um, You know, I, again, I, I think this team, a lot of things have to go right, but you know, there's surprises all the time. And I I think, you know, these guys are on scholarship for a reason. I, I think there's, you know, reason to be somewhat hopeful. I think Ole Miss is going to be good in the red zone or better in the red zone by default. They couldn't have been much worse. I think they're right. going to be better by default. I think Rich Rod's better than Phil Longo schematically and maybe not talent-wise, certainly not talent-wise, but schematically there's got to be something to that. So if this drop-off in talent isn't as significant as it could be, then schematically they're going to be so much better that they're going to be better in the red zone and they're going to score more touchdowns. I think that's uh, an inevitable result of making the coaching change when Matt Luke did. Now, Matt Luke's been on this podcast, and I asked him specifically why he waited to change coordinators. And some didn't like that he was loyal and, and showed loyalty to the guys who helped him get the job full-time at Ole Miss. But I think it hurt him with the talent he had last year to keep coaches who weren't best served in their current positions, be it Weston McGriff or Phil Longo. I didn't believe in Phil Longo. I thought he was a great dude. I loved dealing with him, but I didn't believe in him as far as an offensive coordinator consistently scoring points. If you can't win with that talent, what talent can you win with offensively? Defensively, you can make excuses for Wesley McGriff. You couldn't for Phil Longo. So Rich Rod, I think, will be improvement there. And if they are better in the red zone, stands to reason they're going to be better in the win-loss column. I think that lost them a lot of games, Vanderbilt being one of them. And they don't lose that Vanderbilt game who they were better than if they're scoring in the red zone and stopping in red zone defense. So absolutely, of course. I mean, if they're six, seven wins, yeah. If they're marginally better, maybe not. But if they're middle of the pack, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a huge leap for them. Cole Woods, who's likely to stay for their senior year between Ross, Zabowski, Caracy, and Phillips? Phillips has already announced he's leaving. Caracy told me when I talked to him in Fayetteville that he's leaning towards leaving. He's leaving. Zabowski's going to leave, and Ross going to leave, so none of them. Mark 20. What is the baseball rationale for starting Laposser, 
burning him for a pinch runner on third base with two outs in the second inning, then burning Gindel is that new age baseball. I have no clue what the rationale for that is. Here's the thing about Knox the Posture starting to DH. I get it. I'd have done it too. But he has reverse splits. Now, it's a small sample, and that's why I still would have done it. But he has reverse splits, meaning that as a right-handed batter, he hits right-handers better than he does left-handers. He doesn't give you much better offensive value than a Kevin Graham who could potentially run to a home run. Tyler Keenan shouldn't have been batting sixth. I don't understand the rationale of that. Is it new age baseball? Absolutely not. Runs completely contrary to new age baseball. You don't want to get in the weeds with me about new age baseball. No, the short answer to that is no, that is not new age baseball. I don't understand the rationale, as I also don't understand the rationale of leaving in Gunnar Hoagland once he ran into trouble of trying to get through a lineup the second time because the numbers spike so significantly. So, no, that is not new age baseball at all. Zach, at Boyd ZJ1234. Here you go, David. When Doug Nikhazy's Ole Miss career is over, where will he rank among the best pitchers that Bianco has coached and rank the top five pitchers? Good luck, buddy. Jeez, man, that's a lot of pitchers. I mean, Doug, I think, you know, just through his freshman year is going to be right at the top if he keeps us going for three years or four years. Um, who who would be the best pitchers? I mean, Drew Lance Pomeranz. was really good. Drew, Drew Pomeranz. Pomeranz was probably... He definitely had, you know, Scott Biddle was as good as I've ever seen. His career was cut it, short because of injury. Christian Trent has to be in there. Christian Trent with Bobby Wall was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, I started covering him in 2007, so anybody before that. Mark Holloman? Yeah, Mark Holloman. I saw his numbers and everything. He was really good. Um, you know, during you know my time really covering every single game of Ole Miss was 2007 to 2010, and in that – you know, Lance Lynn, Drew Pomeranz, uh, Scott Biddle, uh, you know, Cody Satterwhite had incredible stuff, but he wasn't consistent. Yeah, enough. but here, here's the thing. How are you ranking them? Are you ranking them on results or talent? Because talent's a totally different conversation than results. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be results. I mean, that's that's what the game is Because if it's about, just so. talent, if it's just talent, Scott Biddle's number one. He had one of the best individual seasons I've ever seen. I mean, like, I, I think there's something I, he pitched about 70 innings one year and had about 130 strikeouts and he didn't just lead like K, you know, through nine innings, like the average, it was strikeouts total as a reliever. And so, um, just for a single season, that was as good as any I've seen. I think Doug Nikhazy, and this is the real question and it isn't exactly what he asked, but Doug Nikhazy, if he continues as he's going right now, can most certainly end up in the top five of greatest Ole Miss pitchers. That's absolutely without a doubt. Absolutely. To me. Now, I don't think it's going to be easy for him to beat Drew Pomeranz as far as production is concerned and talent. He's number one. Drew Pomeranz, you ask me any player, any pitcher to come through Ole Miss, you get one game and one guy to throw it. Drew Pomeranz, 100 times out of 100, every single time. Well, what he did in that regional uh, before they lost to Virginia yep. in 2009 in the Super, you know, Remember, he played, I think they he started against Monmouth on a Friday, shut him down, they won that game. And then he came back two days later on a Monday against Western Kentucky and just pitched incredible against a team that had some really good bats. That was one of those, you know, and single-handedly pretty much won that regional for him. That was, that was one of the more impressive just individual performances I've seen. It's my favorite Ole Miss baseball moment ever. I've never seen anything that smet that. That was unreal. Now, completely irresponsible, shouldn't be throwing that many pitches. It was awesome to be in attendance for, to watch Drew Pomeranz go out there and absolutely carve up two teams in the same weekend and single-handedly, like you mentioned, 
well, you got to get help offensively. You got to score at least one run. But all he needed was one run. That's how right. good Shrew was. You gave him one. He he did everything he could possibly do outside of scoring a run himself to go win that regional for them. So yeah, Drew Pomeranz is number one. But Doug Nikhazy, by the time his Ole Miss career is over, can most certainly get into that top five. I think he'll end up there, actually. Hunter Kenneberg, at Hunt Kenneberg. Most important defensive player for football this season. Gosh. It has to be Momo Sonogo. I was thinking the same. That was the one that immediately jumped out to me, too. You you need a couple guys and Sonogo is the most obvious one that like turn into really good above average. Yeah, it's it's obvious, but it can't be lost though that he has to be an all league caliber player. Yeah, you need guys to step up and be good, but he has to be not just good, and he's supposed to be considered good already. He has to be great. He has to be the anchor of that defense. That's why he has to be the most important defensive player. Yeah, I agree. He has to be. I mean, he's not going to be this level, obviously, talent wise, but he needs to be Patrick Willis light. Patrick Willis light. I like that. Yeah, he has to be that. That's their position of need. Linebacker. The one guy who's years. Yeah. Yeah. So the one dude who's supposed to be the constant at linebacker stands to reason he has to not just be good. He has to be great. So Momo Sonogo, most important, not even close at gunboat. Dave, where in the SEC does Ole Miss football rank in total defense after the end of the football season? Ooh, that's a good question. Any predictions for the Doug Nikhazy of that group? Oh, God. Freshman coming in, playing, starting. I don't know. I don't know if I have a prediction on that. I don't know if there's anybody I believe in like that as far as coming in and having that type of impact. But where does total defense Ole Miss rank at the end of the football season? I think McIntyre matters. I think he will help. I'm going to say 11th. I'd say 9th. Is 11th good enough to make a 6-win, 7-win team? Well, it all depends on how good the offense is. If the red zone's improved, I mean, I, I just think there's going to be a couple games where still Ole Miss doesn't have the talent to, you know, stand up to the uh, the Alabamas of the world, a couple teams and where they're going to give up some yards and some points. And that's where I think they fall into that second half. But, um, you know, 10th, 11th, as long as the offense is decent, I, I think that's good enough to go six and six. If I had to pick like a Doug Nikhazy for football and defense, I'd probably have to go Sam Williams. I mean, he's your top-ranked signee, potentially. He needs to come in then and be a superstar, be an NFL player from jump. Juco players, they take some time to transition. Wayne Dorsey's a good example of this. He was on this podcast not too long ago. It's hard for Juco's to come in and make that type of impact, but Sam Williams kind of does. So if you're making me pick a Doug Nikhazy, but Doug Nikhazy wasn't highly ranked. He wasn't Gunnar Hoagland. So if Sam Williams is Gunnar Hoagland, then Jonathan Haynes would be Doug Nikhazy, maybe. He could make that type of impact at safety. They love that dude. So, yeah, Jonathan Haynes. There's a Doug Nikhazy for you. Rebel Fan 68, at Rebel Fan 68. At the beginning of baseball season, final results would have been considered a letdown. Midway through the season, it would have been considered overachieving. Now that the season is done, where do you put the final result? Just briefly, before that answer from David... Let's talk about Modern Woodman. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. It wasn't so long ago, I'm talking a couple of months, where financially I needed some help. Not that I was struggling, but getting my finances in order, organizing my money so that I'm in the best position for retirement, preparing for college for my kids, and everything else. I'm sure most every one of you can relate. And that's why you should do like me and contact Thomas Chandler today. He's your local Modern Woodman representative, and he'll get you right for retirement or savings or whatever you need. 
He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. What does Modern Woodman do, though, you might ask? Financial security for you and your family through life insurance, financial planning, and financial services. Quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities. And community impact through volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. It's time to get rid of your financial burden. Contact Thomas Chandler, 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Or you can check him out at www.modernwoodman.org. www.modernwoodman.org. That's Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. I like we talked about it to me. This year, in and of itself, is fine. It was a pretty good year. Had some ups and downs. But you played good baseball down the stretch in the SEC tournament. You had a tough draw in the Super Regional at a, at a great place in Arkansas. You battled. It didn't work out. I Like, as an old Miss fan, I would be fine with this year. Um, again, it's it's when you compare it to the, the 19 years of Mike Bianco that you run into more complications. But I, I think with Ole Miss this year, it was about what was expected. In a vacuum, it's a great accomplishment in the lens of considering Mike Bianco's legacy and what he's dealing with as far as criticism, it's a much different conversation. And And I do think, you know, you had this group of Gray Kessinger, Thomas Dillard, Cooper Johnson, you know, and they never went to Omaha. And so there, there's a little bit of an added layer of that, that you had that amazing recruiting class and it didn't really work out like you wanted it to, but it was, it was a good year. But anyway, there's, Things are complicated, but if, again, if you take it just this season, I think it was fine. But in context, obviously, it, it becomes problematic. At Dan F. Miller, is there a better time to tinker with the lineup than game three of a Super Regional? I didn't get it either. I'd have left Tyler Keenan alone. I would not have moved Ryan Olenek up, but he'd been doing that for weeks with left-handed pitching. To a fault, plays the matchups, and he played the matchups in game three of a Super Regional. I wouldn't have done it. I was about, yeah, he's done that forever, and it is maddening sometimes for people I know. You know, if it works, you look like a genius. But 10 years ago, you know, with that team, again, the Virginia Super Regional team, I keep coming back to it because I've covered so many games that year. You know, remember they had the David Phillips, Taylor Hashman, like platoon that would go back and forth? And I remember David Phillips you know, if you're listening, David, sorry, but you went through a tough stretch there where you just weren't hitting the ball very well. And I remember we kept asking Mike, are you still going to keep doing that? Even though David's struggling. And he said, yes. And he just kept going. You know what I mean? Like he, he gets set. And again, if it works, you're a genius, but I, I understand why it's sometimes maddening for fans. Second part of the question from Dan F. Miller is 30 runs over three games, the mark of a well-prepared pitching staff. It's not that they weren't well-prepared. I know it's easy to say it's all Ole Miss's fault. You have to give some credit to Arkansas. That's a good offensive team. They hit over 300 against righties, over 270 against lefties. They hit the ball well. They've got power. And the wind was blown out. I yeah. mean, it was an offensive series. You know, Ole Miss scored a lot of runs, too. Yeah, even in the second game where they only scored five, they were hitting the ball in the nose. Ole Miss was completely power-reliant. Arkansas was tagging the ball for doubles, uh, sharp singles, staying up the middle. Arkansas deserves credit here, too. They were well-prepared. Sometimes the other team is just better than you. And Ole Miss had two true freshmen dealing with the weight, the significance of a Super Regional for the first time. There were going to be some bumps along the road. I don't think it had anything to do with being well-prepared. You can be critical of Mike Bianco for a lot of things, like in the first part of Dan's question about tinkering with the lineup in Game 3 of the Super Regional. He'd been doing that forever. I wouldn't have done it. I get that criticism. 
trying to say that they weren't well prepared as a pitching staff, I don't think that's fair at all. That's like saying, okay, they weren't prepared then, but they were prepared in the Oxford Regional when they swept. Sometimes it's just about performance. The preparation didn't change. The performance changed. Those are different things. Yeah, the, the one thing that was disappointing about the pitching staff is that Etheridge wasn't able to give you wasn't able to battle really in game one and really pretty much gave you nothing in the super regional. Um, But again, credit to Arkansas for that, but you really need your number one guy and a guy who's been around for a while to at least give you a competitive start in that game one. It it just put them behind, you know, they, they were in trouble from the start and they were able to even it in game two. And, and you knew because the Casey, how good he's been, you had that chance, but it really put them in a bad situation from like the moment they stepped off the bus in Arkansas. Like Houston Roth stuffed for four innings. Was he well-prepared and Doug Nikhazy not? No. And Etheridge just pitched well in big games all year. Yeah. He just, he didn't in Arkansas. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. But it was his worst I, I, game by far. It's just unfortunate that it happened on the worst day for Ole Miss. Right. And I, I've never I've never subscribed. I think Mike prepares his teams really well for years and years. I, you know, I don't think that's a problem. No, I don't um, think that's an issue at all. Right. Now, if Sometimes, you want to say he should have started Houston Roth over Hoagland because of experience and how Houston had been going and not burned him in a 13 to five game. OK. All right. Yeah, that that's fair. Two more. Dan Rogers at Dan Rogers, two, three, four. Please tell me you and Maester Daniel have plans to do a show when the Game of Thrones prequel comes out. It's hard to get Maester Daniel to do anything Game of Thrones right now. He's so bummed out. It's like he's lost a puppy. It's going to be hard to get him to do a prequel show. I'll try. I'll have to try to get him to watch the actual show. Daniel's the biggest book Game of Thrones nerd ever. You can tell if you listen to that podcast. And it got a huge response. My dentist asked me about that podcast. It was nuts. And I appreciate it. But Maester Daniel, he's not in a good headspace with Game of Thrones right now. So give him some distance and let me persuade him and we'll make it happen. Last one from Dan Rogers. What's your way too early predictions for Ole Miss sports next year? Could be anything. Football, 6-6. Six and six. Basketball, the NCAA tournament. And baseball, a two-seed in a regional. Those are kind of right down the middle. I was trying to think of like a, a shocking prediction or something like that. But I just it just doesn't feel like – I think men's basketball could take a, you know, a step forward and really be interesting. That's okay, the one if you want to make I a think... shocking prediction, Ole Miss basketball goes to the Sweet 16. Okay. I think that's the most – yeah – I mean, that's that's a bold prediction, but it's not out of the realm of possibility because I just think it, it's difficult to make some crazy because football, I think, is pretty locked in in that five to five and seven to seven and five range. Um, you know, in baseball, it, there's just so many moving parts. It's hard to make a Super Bowl prediction. So I'll go with I'll go with men's basketball. Sweet 16. Let that be that. It's the mailbag edition of Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's David Brandt at David Brandt AP. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions. Check out my stuff on the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com and affiliate of 247 Sports. My thanks to David Brandt and Tyler Siski. Tyler Siski coming on talking Ole Miss football recruiting. But David Brandt for sitting in for an hour and answering your Ole Miss or non-Ole Miss questions. David, what are you working on right now and how can the people read your stuff? Well, right now I'm working on a uh, number two from McDonald's. Ooh. My my wife brought me breakfast. Ooh. That was pretty incredible. But uh, but journalism wise, I am. You can get most of my stuff on Twitter. Um, my handle is at David Brandt AP. Are you working on a story? Anything of significance for the peoples? Uh, no, nothing huge right now. No projects or anything like that. This is you know, I've, I've done some. Obviously, I've been again. I, I've been in Starkville doing college baseball things. But other than that, just getting ready. I need my Phil Steele. Football's coming up. 
Had Ole Miss and State, not just State, gone to Omaha, would you have gone? I mean, I wouldn't have for work because we've got an Omaha rider. Um, but I was thinking about going just if both teams got to Omaha, that would be such a spectacle. I was thinking about just jumping in somebody's car, having a few people jump in my car and just going up there to at least see the weekend. No, you you'd have gone I mean? with me. Think- you'd have gone with me, me, Chase Parm, Brian Scott Rippey loaded up in the expedition and driven to Omaha. That would have been amazing. The the baseball trips are always some of the best yeah. ones. Yeah. The one of the best the best like road trip I took as an old Miss beat writer was in two thousand. Well, that was a great I mean, as far as location, that was great. But in two thousand ten, we all I don't know if you were with us, but we all rented a van. You yeah, I wasn't there. Movie? I wasn't there for that. Yeah, we went to Charlottesville and it was you know, it was like Brandon Lockhart, Ty Alashewski, um, you know, I'm, I'm missing a couple people, Patrick Oaks might've came with us and everything. And we just had a great time. Cause you really get to experience the city. You're there for three or four days. School is out. In most instances, you can actually get into restaurants. You can get into bars and stuff like that. You really can have a, a lot of fun. I have terrible memories of baseball. Cause my early years covering baseball would be me and Hoover with Brant and Parham and being drunk and complaining. So what's changed? Yeah, I deserve that. <laughs> He's David Brandt. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. Absolutely, Ben. Take care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.